In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever had someone whom you idolized, and I actually do mean that in a good way, like this. Usually in conversations we hear about people idolizing someone who made an impression on them at a young age, or when they had a significant change in life. Some of the best stories told are about what people learned from someone and how that influence permeated many aspects of their lives. We can all think about maybe the coach who taught us not only how to throw a curveball or to score from the three, the free throw line. That's hard to say. The free throw line in basketball. Y'all know of what I speak. But maybe they learned something else from him too, like how to be courteous to others, or how to motivate members of the team to do their best. C.S. Lewis <clears throat> writes with great affection about his tutor prior to entering Oxford University, William Kirkpatrick, known affectionately as the Great Knock, and how that man taught him how to think rationally and logically. I remember sitting on the organ bench when I was working with, on my doctorate with Jerry Hancock, and we were working through one of the major preludes and fugues of Johann Sebastian Bach, and Dr. Hancock would make these little positive comments under his breath, and when we were finished with, you know, all the technical stuff, the notes, the groupings, the phrasings, the fingerings, we would then sit and talk about the mystery of the music in ways that I never heard anyone else describe these works. These people leave an impression, a literal imprint on us, and we sometimes strive to be like them. We might even wake up in the morning and say, well, how am I going to be like so-and-so today? Or how would my old mentor handle this situation? Or even if we draw upon a historical character like a Churchill or a Lincoln, or we could even do a creation of literature like a Hamlet or a Tom Sawyer, what we know about them influences our choices, our desires to emulate them. We even say things, and to the children here I'm going to say, we might even say things like, mom and dad would be proud of me if they knew I did whatever this thing was, that they wanted me to do, even though I didn't find it all that important. In a blog post written in 2021, Dr. Matthew Bianco talks about the tyrannizing image. Tyranny, as in like tyrant, the tyrannizing image. He says rather simply that the tyrannizing image is, and this is his quote, that image that points us towards what we ought to be. And he continues by saying, it may be found in another person, a character in a story, the subject of a painting. It is an image that reminds us of our true nature, our true purpose, our true humanity. And he concludes his paragraph with, Christ is, of course, the ultimate image. I wonder if Dr. Bianco had this passage in mind when, because when I read his blog post earlier this week, 
Philippians 2 immediately came to the forefront of my mind. St. Paul is telling the church in Philippi that no matter what may occur to him in Rome, and this is assuming that he wrote this letter from his prison cell in Rome, and no matter what happens with the internal strife in the local church there in Philippi, even no matter what happens in terms of persecution to the church Catholic, that they, and now we too who have read this letter, are to always keep before us the same mind that Christ Jesus had both prior to the incarnation, while he lived on earth as perfect God and perfect man, but also after the ascension and the exaltation. And the first part of having the same mind as Jesus is to not only realize who we are in reality, but to know ourselves so well that we need not exploit our position in life for gain. St. Paul continues this narrative of Jesus' life, charting the course that Jesus took to gain salvation for us, not for himself, but for us by becoming a slave. Remember, crucifixion was reserved for slaves and misanthropes. A Roman citizen would never have been crucified as it was reserved for the lowliness, the other, those people who don't count, that's what we do to them, so they had better watch out. And this was a practice throughout the empire. This giving up of himself, even to death, and may I ask, how many of us would be ready to die for the misdeeds of someone else? This giving up to death, being ready to die, is what Jesus did to make us whole. And this is why God has highly exalted him. This is the mind that we, as Christians, are to live with. The image of Jesus, this self-sacrificing image of Christ humbling himself, giving up his equality with God the Father to mount this rescue mission for us, to tolerate the abuse, the torture, the shame of nakedness, all for love of us. We don't have a crucifix in the church. We have crosses, but we don't have a crucifix in this church, and a lot of Episcopal churches don't. But I think it is an important image that we don't forget. Because that's what the love of God looks like. And if you need a reminder today, or any other day, just walk along the north aisle here and come to the twelfth station of the cross where Jesus dies on the cross and think about it for just a few moments. This is the tyrannizing image for the Christian, this death on the cross. Yes, Jesus did rise again on Easter Day, and yes, he ascended into heaven 40 days later, and yes, he gave the Holy Spirit to be our guide, our comforter, and our advocate. But all of that is the byproduct of the cross. We would not enjoy any of those benefits 
if Jesus didn't suffer and die all for love of us. This is the tyrannizing image for the Christian. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Put away those things that cause strife and division. Don't give in to those quirks or the mannerisms of someone who just irritates you to no end and cause you to lose your temper. And as much as I hate the commercialization of them, it really is asking the question, what would Jesus do here and now? But there's a catch, too. St. Paul isn't just talking about you and me as individuals. He's not speaking to us as autonomous people who forge our way on our own. St. Paul is addressing the entire church body. We just finished studying Philippians in Sunday school. And so the people who have attended those classes know exactly what I'm about to say. And so I'm very sorry that you're going to hear it again. But for those of you who have not, here is something that you must understand. And it is critically important. And it's this. One thing that we have lost in English is a second person plural. I see some smiles and some laughs. Yes, they know exactly what I'm about to say. And I'm sorry about that. But in English, we have lost our second person plural that helps us to read and understand so that when I'm speaking to you as an individual person, you know I'm talking to you rather than when I say to you, I'm talking to the entire congregation. And if you glance through this epistle reading, each time you see the pronoun you, you need to replace it with all of you. Or because we're from Texas, y'all, or all y'all, okay? You see, this isn't just about you and me as individual persons and maybe that person who's over there working everything out on their own, separate and autonomous from all of us. No, St. Paul is telling us that for us to do this work, all of us, all y'all and me included need to do this work together. It is the work of making this parish through prayer, through study, through coming together for the Holy Eucharist and even being in fellowship with each other that helps us learn what the mind of Christ actually thinks. It's about this parish beginning to not only think a little more like Jesus, but also acting in such a way that we begin to look more and more like Jesus to a world out there that is hurting and in strife and depression and who need Jesus more than anything. So where do we begin? Well, we actually do have to start with us as individuals. We have to let go of all the things that are not Christ-like. Grudges, maybe a little twinge of prejudice, perhaps even a cold-heartedness that is suspicious against anyone who needs just a little bit of help. We also have to let go of things that happen here or have happened here. 
like that vestry member who didn't do what you wanted, or the priest who told your child they couldn't do something, or the person who left years ago, maybe even is dead and gone, who told them that they told who told you that they really didn't like your family. All of that has to be let go of if we are going to look just a little more like Jesus. And then, only then, can we begin to move forward, working out our own salvation, our own grace and sanctification in awe and wonder and with fear and trembling. Because once we get to that point, God takes over. God himself works through us and in us, allowing us to do his will because our will and his begin to align together. This is what our brethren in the Eastern Orthodox Church call theosis. Theosis is that process of becoming like God through the transformation of our wills, our aims, even our very selves, until they become perfect in union with God. But it only works when we let go, when we empty ourselves, when we take on the form of slave and put our desires, our hatreds, our lack of true love to death. Once we nail all of our sicknesses that we call sin to the cross. And when we do, God will also highly exalt us. Because not only did we love his son like he loves us, but we began to align our minds, our hearts, our very wills to God's will. And through that, we, the church, will have begun to work out, work out not only our own salvation, but we will also have begun to work for the good pleasure of God our Father. What a tyrannizing image. But... What a holy image for the church. May God give us the will to do these things. Give us the grace and power to perform them. And give us the courage and heart to step out forward in faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.